daily bats. I choose you. Say my name so my powers will become yours. Hey, welcome, we're not getting robbed. Oh, hey, what's up? I'm a superhero. Welcome to the Suicide Squadcast. This is the DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. That's right. We're all big fans of what DC Comics is doing on the big and the small screens, and we want to make sure we talk all about it. So thanks for joining us tonight. Let's get started. My name is Scott. And I am Tim, and we are the Suicide Squadcast. Happy birthday, my friend. Thank you. Happy birthday to me, and happy birthday to Batman. As I like <laughs> to remind everyone every year at this time that Batman and I share the our, share our birthday. <laughs> and we've never seen either one of you guys in the same room at the same time. I'm just so. saying. Just saying. You know, it just happens. I, I, however, commit that this year will be a sober episode of the Suicide <laughs> Squad guest. I forgot about that. You, you for, how could you forget about me getting drunk off my butt last year oh, on air? I just remember you at the end of the episode saying, you know, you can find us at www. I'm okay. www.suicidesquadcast. Oh, what episode was that? I don't know. I wish we we need to go back and like tell our. I wish I could tell the listeners which episode it was. But yes, find the. Well, it'd be a year ago. Yeah, it'd be a year ago. So you know, the end of March of 2018. If you want to hear me slowly get drunker and drunker as the episode goes on, I was pounding back some Jamesons last year on my birthday, yes. and it made for a very interesting episode. Yeah, and, and the funniest part about it was when you were insisting, like, I'm fine, I'm fine, and I'm like listening as I'm editing. I'm like, no, no, dude, you are not <laughs> fine. <laughs> I can hear you like degenerating like you got Alzheimer's, you know, just like little by little. I could just see see you deteriorating throughout the episode. <laughs> oh, God, it was so bad, but I didn't care. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I was thinking about that all week. Like, oh, I can't wait to relive the memories of, you know, my whiskey infused episode last year this time. Oh, it was good times. Hey, I want to send out a special thanks to our friend of the show and supporter, Josh. And I'm I don't know if he would want his last name right off. So we'll just say. Well, he's he's got his last name out there on Vero. Is it? So, yes. So it's fair game. Okay. So it's fair game. It's, it's Joshua Barron. Yeah, Joshua Barron. Dude, <laughs> thank you. Yes, thank you very much. Joshua sent each one of us a poster from the Art Center College of Design event with, uh, with Zack Snyder doing his three different director's cuts. And not only did he send us the poster, which was just awesome in of itself, it's signed by Zack Snyder himself, Deborah Snyder, and also Larry Fong. And Larry personalized each of our posters to each of us. Yeah, it's awesome. Super awesome man it's super awesome thank you so much i mean when he tweeted me you know he tweeted me at last weekend i didn't know if he had tweeted you or not i actually didn't know you were getting one until i saw your tweet on my way back from vacation and and but when he when he it was so funny is that he tweeted you seen the poster i was like oh cool a nice poster and then when i was watching the bvs q a live on sunday night and they talked about getting out into a signing line then the wheels started turning my head like is this poster going to be signed (laughs) this is I, I, and then I saw your tweet, and I was like, yes! Yep, yep it's signed. Yes, it's signed. 
right. Oh, yeah. And Joshua on Vero, he's got uh, a picture of him standing there with, with Zach. And he and you could see the three posters he's holding. And I'm like, Oh, yeah. really? Oh, okay. yeah. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. There's my poster right there. So, no, man. <laughs> no, we can't thank you enough. I mean, that's that's just super awesome of you to do that, you know, for us that have families and can't make these kind of events. <laughs> yeah, I know. And he also said that he, he got them signed after the Watchmen Q&A. So he yeah. tried to get Jackie Earl Haley to sign it. And I totally made the joke. It's like, but he looked down and said, no. <laughs> yeah, he, he bailed out of there, apparently, which that would have been awesome, too. But well, he flew in from Texas. He did, so yeah. I, I'm sure he's got he's either got family or he's got work. But yeah. would it have been cool to have Rorschachs on the poster? <laughs> Absolutely. Especially if you did like a little Rorschach R symbol. I mean, that would have <laughs> I would have just lost it if I would have seen that. Oh, but Joshua, thank you so much. As we've said always, uh, our, our our listeners are the best. Yeah. They they really are. Absolutely. And we thank you. Um, I <laughs> When we get to the end of the episode, I'll bring up something regarding our we, – we've, we've neglected to make jokes of ourselves of how we don't respond to email very quickly. Yeah. And I need, to, I need to bring that up at the end of the episode. Okay. Very good. <laughs> well, hey, guys. Uh, just some standard announcements here. You know, we are the Squadcast Media Network of shows, and we have a few other shows we would encourage you to go listen to. Our brothers in arms here at DC Comics Squadcast with Chris and Jordan covering DC Comics every single week. Well, maybe not every week. They they have kind of a rocky schedule at times, but they definitely are covering all the different comics from week to week uh, in one form or the other. Absolutely. And then we also have Fans Without Borders and DC TV Squadcast with Brent and Ray, which I believe if they continue with their intent, they should be talking about Detective Comics number 1000 this week. Yeah. They did a review of Action Comics 1000, and I think Ray was insisting that they were going to do the same thing for Detective Comics 1000. Yeah, that's which awesome. I just picked up my variant set uh, like 30 minutes before we started recording the show because I got all 11 of them and I'm ready to go. That's awesome. So are you going to review all 11 of them? If you Are you going to do a review of that? Re- well, I'll <laughs> do covers. a review of, of the covers? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, actually, I could because I have thoughts. Yes. <laughs> I, have, I have thoughts about the covers. Yeah. No, that's cool. Never thought I'd see the day, man. Detective Comics 1000. No. And you got to remember, Batman uh, premiered in Detective Comics number 27. Yep, in March 30th, 1939, yeah. even though the cover date says May. So that's like the next milestone, like a thousand comics of Detective Comics since his premiere. Ooh, that's right. So we're talking about 1,027. Yeah, they should yeah. do something with that. I'm sure you don't think they're already <laughs> thinking about that. Probably have 27 variant covers. <laughs> oh, don't, don't get me started. <laughs> don't get me started. And of course, we want to take this opportunity to thank all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash squadcastmedia. Media, uh, you know, you you help keep the lights on, and then of course, if you think, you know, if, if you can, you jump in there at that five dollar tier to help us out. You know, we we give back. You know, we have content that we release. We've got a we just released this past week our Squadcast movies review of RoboCop from 1987. That was such a blast of an episode <laughs> to record. It was. That was a that and, was a fun one. Uh, and you know, you know, we've got some B roll stuff that's in there, and I know that uh, our next movie. Squadcast is going to be American Splendor, which thanks to you just found out that if I I can go check that out on HBO and I don't have to pay for that movie. That's right. Yeah. So I will be definitely checking that out. But that's all all available at patreoncom media where five dollars a month you can get access to I mean um, uh, oh hundreds hundreds of pieces of exclusive audio. Yeah, I mean over a hundred for sure. I don't know if 
we're in hundreds yet. I, I'm going to say we're at hundreds. We're shy of 200, but we're we're getting close. Uh, just uh, hyperbole. <laughs> Give me my hyperbole for my birthday. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, I want you to lead in this first story because I actually didn't read this article other than the headline. And so I'd like you to fill me in on this one. Okay. So Hollywood Reporter was reporting as a follow-up to the whole Sujahara debacle that apparently J.J. Uh, Abrams and his wife, uh, Katie McGrath, who is the co-CEO of Bad Robot, they apparently were major voices and influences in helping to pressure John Stankey, uh, Warner Media CEO, to uh, make Sujahara go bye-bye. Make the right decision. Make the right decision. Right. We've always agreed with this decision. Yes. <laughs> but apparently there were others who, who – apparently this decision, I guess, wasn't as crystal cut as it probably should have been. Or at least people wanted to make it clear that it should be crystal cut. But uh, the Abrams and his wife, uh, McGrath, said they wanted to make sure that his that Sujar's continuing presence at Warner Brothers would have been a values issue. Uh, Stan Key, of course, had a major desire to hold on to J.J. Abrams since he's been uh, – Bad Robots Productions has had this deal with Warner Brothers Television since 2006. And that has led to such shows as HBO's Westworld, Hulu's Castle Rock, Fringe over at Fox, and but right now there's kind of been like a like a bidding war of you know studios wanting to develop a relationship with Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams, and apparently what sources were telling the Hollywood Reporter was that Katie McGrath conveyed to Stanky in, in what they call no uncertain terms that Sujahara's continued presence would be a values issue, and that she and Abrams would explore bad robots options. <laughs> If he had a, yeah. if, and they have options. Yes, absolutely have options. If he is, if he continued to work for Warner Brothers, which um, is a big deal because I didn't know this until reading this article. McGrath and Abrams are the founding donors to Times Up Legal Defense Fund, which was established by Hollywood elites to combat sexual harassment in all industries in the wake of the Harvey Weinstein. In it, so basically at. at at the birth of the Me Too movement, they started. They became like the the founders of this defense fund to combat sexual harassment. So you can imagine this Sujahara situation not being a good look. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what we said at the time. I mean, this is like this just creates all kinds of problems if you just enable this, just in terms of like you know what kind of business you're going to be able to attract, or, and and uh, what kind of talent you're going to be able to attract. And this is a prime example. Like you don't let J.J. Abrams and and his company like walk away over something like this. No, 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 no. Especially, especially with all, they have their fingers in so many, I mean, I'm just looking at their shows going, Castle Rock was a hit, even though I haven't seen it yet. Westworld, in my opinion, is one of the best shows on television right now. So yeah. you you don't let these people go. Yeah. Wow. So that's interesting. Was there anything in the article about uh, potentially getting JJ, JJ to do any uh, particular films with Warner Brothers? No, that was not. The, 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 the focus was the fact that a Abrams and his wife uh, helped apply pressure to make sure that Sujihara was out of there. Uh, it, and lastly, one of their sources did say that many voices were part of the conversation inside and outside of the company. Yeah. So, but there was there was no talk about. Basically, the talk was just if you want Abrams to have a continuing relationship with Warner Brothers, Sujihara has to go. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. I mean, ultimately, you know, the company did the right thing, uh, whether they really were wanting to or not. Wanting to or not. 
<laughs> you know, you you got to at least uh, uh, take some solace in the fact that the right thing was done, you know, for the right reasons here, ultimately. So I'll just hope that continues. Okay. Well, let's move on to the film that, screw you, you've seen and I haven't. I have seen. As, and let's make this clear. I'm the only one on this network that hasn't seen it. That's right. <laughs> because vacation. Well, the power we have over you right now. Oh, oh, my God. We have so much power. You think you do. No, I, I can't just turn my phone off. Yeah. <laughs> that, that does work. Uh, I can delete apps. We have many ways of reaching you. <laughs> so you think. I'm seeing it Thursday night. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so Thursday night is it, it, it is there. But uh, but we've got some stuff to talk about Shazam. You know, it, for all of you who did get to see it at the uh, fan screening last past Saturday, good for you. Keep your thoughts to yourselves. And <laughs> I will see it on Thursday with the rest of the world. Um, so, so I kind of dug into a lot of the little tidbits. I know you're probably on radio silence just knowing knowing you for these last few years. Pretty much, yeah. 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 I mean, it's uh, the the only lack of silence Scott usually gets is what I put in the notes. <laughs> and even then, it's like, damn it, Tim! That he, like, Scott will literally, like, read the notes cross-eyed. <laughs> yes! So he's, like, kind of, like, skimming through it just to make sure he's like, okay, does that look dangerous? Okay, I'm not going to read that sentence there. <laughs> so, well, I'm going to I'm gonna give you some of the little tidbits here. Like, you know, obviously, right before a film uh, premieres, you get tons and tons of interviews. Like, you just can't even keep up with all of them. So I did kind of sort through some of these different interviews and just found a little tidbits I wanted to kind of throw out there that I thought were kind of amusing. This first one, Jack Dylan Grazer uh, and uh, Asher and Levi were being interviewed. Uh, it was in this really cool comic book shop, and uh, they had literally replaced every single comic book on the shelves behind with a Shazam book, which I thought was really cool. But uh, one of the funny little things that came out of that little interview was that apparently Jack Dylan Gr- Grazer has a flip phone, and, and it's because of, quote, repercussions for actions and consequences, unquote. He had an iPhone X, and so he apparently did something where he had his iPhone X taken away from him, which I just think is super amusing. Good. Pa- it's called it's called it's called good parenting. It's called good parenting. <laughs> He's still a kid, right? Yes. Oh, I don't even have an iPhone X. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and then then uh, I think uh, Levi was kind of joking uh, with him and saying, "Well, you know, if you do something else again, then you're going to go back to a pager." And then. <laughs> <laughs> And then maybe, and then if you do something after that, it'd be like a carrier pigeon. <laughs> so it was kind of funny. I was just waiting for Jack Dylan Grazer to go, what's a pager? <laughs> yep. Uh, David Sandberg was also interviewed, and uh, the question was asked, like, who's his favorite Batman? And so he said, you know, Tim Burton's Batman is really close to his heart, but he really liked what Ben Affleck did as Batman. So we have a Ben Affleck fan. Right. Well, and I mean, anyone our age who who doesn't have a, who, who does not have even a nostalgic tug for Michael Keaton as Batman. And there's I mean, nothing wrong with, like, <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I, I have a nostalgia. <laughs> Saw it when I was seven. I have no problem with it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not my favorite Batman, but I, no. I, it has a, a very, like, you know, warm place in my heart, of course. Producer Peter Safran uh, said that, he says, you know, I have to believe that there will be a solo Black Adam film before Shazam and Black Adam would share a screen together. And so, of course, Peter Safran's very much involved in a lot of this. And I don't know if he would necessarily be involved in a Black Adam side of the film, considering, you know, um, you know Dwayne Johnson involvement this company i'm not really sure who the producers would be but uh so anyway the at least from the producer side uh they're saying that you know they want to see a black adam solo film before they even have them show up in a shazam film which i think would be a good way of doing it for sure it 
I still don't think it's necessary, but I can, but I understand the business behind. It. Yeah, I mean, I I think when you're talking about the personalities involved, in particular The Rock, I kind of feel like you know he's going to want his film first. Yes, no, no, no. That <laughs> that falls under the I understand the business behind it. <laughs> right, right. I, no, I get that. Yep. Uh, and then you know there's some clickbait headlines going around that uh, Saffron and, and uh, director David Sandberg were coming back for Shazam Two, a sequel, which is not at all what was said. What you mean they took something out of context yeah. really it's amazing it's never amazing. Yeah. didn't see that happening no it just basically said yeah they're both on board for coming back for shazam 2 uh, if they get the opportunity you mean they'd like more work they would like more work i'm I mean, shocked it's a very shocking details came out this past week uh the next thing uh peter saffron also talked about what their goal was with this film he says yeah and he's really kind of talking in general about what dc films goal is with each of these new dceu films or just dc films that come out he says you know that's really the goal is giving heroes uh uh, their time to shine and not feeling like you have to shoehorn in some universal connection amongst all of them. Uh, and he said that the studio has been incredibly supportive and DC has been supportive about saying, take your time that you need to introduce these characters in the right way and tell the stories that you really want to tell and that the audiences really want to see with these characters. So again, it just kind of goes along with what we've been seeing here. They're uh, just really trying to minimize some of the interconnectivity and and still have it there, but not being it something that dictates what the story is going to be. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's the, it, their own message. You know, that that's all that says to me. Zachary Levi was interviewed and, and uh, he was kind of asked about the costume. He goes, uh, he says, yeah, with the Shazam costume, in order for it to look great, you have to have it kind of be seamless. And he says, you can't have a bunch of zippers and things everywhere unless you're like Deadpool, I guess. <laughs> And he goes, yeah, he had a bunch of zippers. But if uh, if you're created by Rob Leefield, uh, then you're going to have a bunch of pouches and zippers and no ankles. But don't forget leg belt. <laughs> Lots of leg belt. Yeah, I love the fact that he mentioned no ankles. <laughs> He's definitely in tune with Rob Leefield. He went on to talk a little bit more about the costume. He says it's super tight. It becomes kind of like a second skin. Uh, he said he would overheat in it and he would freeze in it, which is kind of funny. I don't know how he would freeze in it, but I guess in the cold, you know, Toronto weather, he was, I guess it still gets kind of cold. Uh, and he said, he said that sometimes the electronics in it would dance sometimes <laughs> which is kind of fun. I don't know what electronics I guess probably the effect you know the light up effects for his I think that's what he's referring to is because the you know his his gauntlets and his chest light up so I think that's what he I think that's what he means uh, and then lastly just one little bit uh, Peter Saffron was asked about a, like a DC Marvel rivalry and he says you know he goes I always believe that uh, in that which unites comic book fans is much greater than that which divides us. That sounds like a quote from... <laughs> I know. It sounds like I've heard that a million times. Uh, he says, you know, the whole Marvel-DC rival thing is is kind of BS because really, you know, we're all fans of the same thing. I love the fact that... And he, and he kind of references James Gunn here and he goes, I love the fact that James Gunn has directed a movie for Marvel and he's directed a movie for DC and, and now the Earth is not spinning off its axis. It's okay. So... <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, we always kind of have to remind ourselves that like the only people who care about any potential like uh, rivalry or, you know, like the things not being comic accurate are the most minority of a, of the fans, which is us, which, which are the ones us. that really care about this. The general audience, nobody cares about that stuff. In fact, they don't even know the difference generally. They don't.
don't they don't even know who's what who, they don't even know who's what company they don't you know <laughs> they do they probably know more so now but they certainly no they still don't you know listen to Ray's stories on fans without borders about his boss who doesn't know who's an avenger and who's a justice leaguer <laughs> oh man it's funny so the the previews that you were not able to go to scott yeah, yeah rub it in thank thanks tim thanks yep. appreciate it yeah so, yep. so according to deadline the fandango preview screening last thursday which was at like i guess 1200 different showings racked up 3.3 million uh in gross box office revenue and that actually uh outdid uh the nearest competitors which were train your dragon 3 which is 2.6 million the adam and amazon's warner brothers preview of aquaman which was at 2.9 million and then the adam and amazon's preview of jumanji welcome to the jungle which was 1.8 million and also hotel transylvania 3 which is at 1.3 million you know i i i think this is this means that you know there is excitement for shazam but i also kind of think it means that like people are taking advantage of these early screenings to get out there and yeah and you're just getting you know you're getting people to fill the seats a lot more you know why not go see it a little early well you're getting people who want to who want to see the movie as soon as possible yep and i think it was a good move that they've moved from adam to fandango yes you know just because more people use fandango right and uh once again shout out to the shout out to james who sent me his code for the shazam comics so that i could <laughs> i could have the comics that that you got for for buying from fandango to go see this screening so thank you <laughs> but uh yeah i mean i just it's not even the comic book movies it's just like just movies that have potential like how to train your dragon three like that's that's just people you got a friend you when you have these franchise movies that you realize that there's going to be anticipation for and people want to see it as soon as possible yeah i will tell you though the biggest thing that keeps me from going to these things is still the fact that they're never in any of the premium formats yeah. it's just regular movie screen which i think works to the advantage of getting people to come back the second time yeah but i'm too much of a snob that i want to see it <laughs> i want to see it the best way possible the first time yeah yeah you don't want another suicide squad experience oh that was that, that was just unfortunate. you had a rough first viewing of that i had a very rough, sound issues oh god sound <laughs> issues yes oh oh man god okay i saw these pictures of sandberg from instagram <laughs> it's awesome with his suit that is just i love this man he's like a big teddy bear and i just want to <laughs> hug him he's he's been having so, that's the one thing i'm gonna miss once shazam is like in theaters is sandberg's social media has given me life <laughs> for the, like the past year yeah i don't know what life is going to be like without him yeah he's been a lot of fun so what we're describing here and i i can only assume yes it was um the costume department had actually taken the same material that they apparently had used for the shazam suit when we're talking about the red material with uh that cool little detail like the little pattern if you zoom in on it you guys actually get this little kind of swirly thing detail it uh they took that and actually made a two-piece suit for david sandberg <laughs> with the same material and it just looks fantastic and then we have this next story that i just feel like out of principle i i shouldn't care but um shazam has been certified fresh by rotten tomatoes <laughs> with a score of 93 percent. yes and and just to be clear i i think we've pretty well established uh, on this show we that we don't give a flying crap <laughs> we don't care about rotten tomato score whether it's good or bad because it's it's a extremely flawed <laughs> metric to judge a film by but i know some people do care about it so if you're one of those people that well i think that's the only reason we we bring it up because unfortunately it matters to way too many of the general audience it does it really does yeah so if, if it if you're one of those people that kind of hang your hats on what the rotten tomato score is what's at 93 percent certified fresh uh with 81 reviews in with 81 reviews so i mean what what it does tell you this is the thing with rotten tomatoes rotten tomatoes will tell you 
if there's overwhelmingly good consensus or good likability of a film by the critics. Like it's good at judging that. And it's also pretty good at judging if, if a film is an absolute stinker and you're like down in the like, you know, the 5, 10, 15% Rotten Tomato score. Like it does good at that. If it's anywhere in between, if it's a film that's got any kind of like, you know, if it'll have like mixed reviews, mixed reception, that kind of thing, the score could be anywhere in there, anywhere between yeah. like the lowest and the highest. And so it's just, it's a terrible like, metric. Like, like anything from the 20s to the 20s to like the 80s. Yeah. I mean, uh, the same film could be anywhere, you know, just depending on how things are judged by the people that like determine whether or not a a, uh, a critic review is fresh or rotten, like it could swing in one way or the other. David Sandberg also put out a video on Instagram, which I kind of vaguely heard about this, but it's uh, it's a new technology where they actually would do like three screens simultaneously. And it shows, uh, it's basically like 270 degree viewing of the film. And so he showed off a few scenes from Shazam. And basically it's, it, you got your conventional screen in the front, you know, the theater screen. And then you've got screens on the side that show like extended action. And so he kind of showed off a few scenes of it. And I'm not sure, I don't know that I would like this thing, to be honest with you, if I saw it in the theater. I don't think I would. Yeah. yeah. It's it's kind of interesting. But like, I, I'm trying to think like, if what did it even take to do that? Like, did you have to know up front when you're filming that you're going to be doing this? Because I mean, you know, how are you capturing all that film to the far right and to the far left of a scene? I, I don't, I don't know. Th- this is not an experience that I would particularly <laughs> a- appeal to. You yeah. Know, so. Yeah. So I'll be interested to see if, like, if, if anything comes of that, because I, I just don't, I don't know what the demand is for that. But. All right. Well, now moving on to Birds of Prey and the Fantastic Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, Tim. I'm not Brent. I don't sit here and say thank you. You've, well, you've been doing it. I'm just, <laughs> I have expectations. I have standards. I thought it was in my contract. Seriously. It's not your contract. It's like red M&Ms. Let's, let's do this. <laughs> we got some new set photos, even some that we found out about today. Yeah. Uh, from the film, you know, more... More of Harley in what I'm just referring to as the outfit, which <laughs> the is caution kind of like tape the, outfit. Yes, the caution tape outfit with the margaritas. Yeah, you know, we got that one. We got another picture. Of her. And she's got five margaritas, by the way. She does. Yeah, I was trying to figure out like what that if that's like the five of them together. And then there's another pic- a picture of Cassandra Kane in the car with Harley driving. But the ones that really set our set our Twitter a tweet uh, a Twitter <laughs> was pictures of Harley standing outside of a house with a Joker-like figure throwing bags of stuff out the window. And while we can pretty much safely assume that is not Jared Leto in that window because you can tell how he is expertly uh, faces covered, yeah. it is obviously uh, a homage to his interpretation of the character, which means they are not rebooting uh, or replacing the the DCEU version of the Joker that we saw in David Ayer's Suicide Squad. Right. That that continuity is staying but since Jared Leto is over at Sony filming Morbius they apparently just have a stand a body double or a stand in dressed in a purple shirt with the green hair and there will be some this this suggests there will be some indication of the breakup between Joker and Harley yeah which we would need since she's on her own in this film because it is about her emancipation as the title would suggest right so that's good and uh, Jared Leto doesn't have a beard with Morbius does he I'm just 
just curious. I'm asking for a friend. Uh, all I can say is that the character in the film, uh, the character in the comics doesn't have a beard. Okay. I mean, I'm hoping we don't have any weird CGI. You yeah. know, we, we have, you know, we had King's Dash. Yes. So I don't know if we need like Emperor Beard. Yeah. So we, we have no idea. I mean, it, it only makes sense that you were going to get some kind of reference to, you know, Joker in this film. We, we didn't know what extent, but it looks like you're going to at least get uh, some visual allusion to Joker. Uh, what we don't know is if like we'll get any kind of like overdubbing of Jared Leto's voice, which which I think would be pretty cool if they were able to do that. And who knows, you know, you may even get like Jared Leto, you know, could come in and, and film a couple close up views or something, you know, from this scene. See, that's what I was thinking. Like, do like like a cameo, like an insert shot, which they can put in at any time. They can put in because it's the magic of movies. <laughs> right. And what was kind of interesting about this today it was like this very day today, Jared Leto had uh, sent something out on Snapchat. It was like one of these memories, but it was like it was a memory from two years ago today, and it was just a picture of a, a clown emoji. So either, you know, truly just saying, yep, remember, you know, I was doing this a couple years ago, or, you know, it was just kind of a, a timely thing considering some of the pictures that come out. So you never know. It, it would be cool if they could actually get him in for a cameo. Uh, I would be all for that. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. If they'd overdub his voice, too, I'd be okay with that. Like, you know, we don't know what the story is, and we don't know what how important it would be to actually have Joker in it. But it looks like we're going to get something, which is which is awesome, I think. I, I'm, I love to see that continuity there. Okay, this next story. When Ray posted this in our in our, snap, in our <laughs> Slack group, I have to admit, it brought warm fuzzies to my heart. Yes. Okay, what we're saying, Business Insider is reporting a quote from Jai Courtney uh, saying that he will be returning as Captain Boomerang in, G- in James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. His quote was, we're getting ready to shoot in a few months' time. There's not much else I can reveal about it, but yeah, you'll be seeing Boomerang back for sure. I'm happy. It's going to be fun. It will be different for sure, but it's going to be great. I'm just like, <laughs> yes! I wanted Boom. I mean, there are certain characters too. that I just... One, there are certain characters I just love from David Ayer's film, and Jai Courtney's Boomerang yeah. was one of them. It was great, too, because, I mean, it was, it was a character where he could actually do his native Australian accent. Yes. And, but it's also a character that, I'm sorry, when you think Suicide Squad, yeah. there are three There are three characters that always come to mind for me. And that's Waller, Deadshot, and Boomerang. Yeah, like, for sure. Those are the three, because that's, I'm Ostrander. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. those are the three I think of. I mean, I was actually in my comic book store. I, I said I was in my comic store picking up my comics. The Task Force X episode of Justice League Unlimited was playing on the TV. And what characters do you see in that episode? Yeah. Deadshot, <laughs> Boomerang, Waller, and Rick Flag. It's uh. like, there's just certain characters that, like, you just, it doesn't feel like, and I know, it's Suicide Squad, the, 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 the roster rotates, but there just seems to be characters who are always there. Yeah. So when I hear that J.I. Courtney is coming back and we're going to get Boomerang in the movie, I was just like, yes! Yeah. <laughs> my my anticipation level for this film actually went from eh to hmm? Yeah. Now just, now just need Viola Davis. Tell me Viola Davis is back as Waller and it's like, shut up, take my money. Yeah, that's the one we need here. No, but I I, I, I loved uh, J.I. Courtney's version of Boomerang in this film. And, and and who have I had as my avatar in our, you know, our squad cast slack? It's been a Boomerang the entire time. It's been boomerang the entire time yeah i i've just loved his betrayal uh i, I was super excited to see that he's coming back again no no here, here's what i need to know though does the pink unicorn come back of course it has to, it has to. james gunn that the pink unicorn has to come back saying yeah <laughs> i actually it would be nice to get a 
little bit more like God's great explanation of the pink <laughs> unicorn. Just saying. Or not. Or not. Or not. I don't know. Either it's, one. It's, yes. Either one. Uh, Ray Fisher is also reminding us that, you know, he does not engage in rumor mill. Uh, but uh, he says he is not, nor does he have any intention of leaving Cyborg. Uh, furthermore, if and when the time comes for him to hang up his all-too-revealing mocap onesie, you will hear it from him directly and hashtag Borg life. So Rave Fisher still very much wants to continue on uh, with Cyborg and we hope he does. Right. Because there's been way too much rumor mill about character actors from Justice from our Justice Leaguers. Yeah. Are they staying? Are they not staying? I, I, it was nice for Ray to step out there and go nip it, nip it in the butt. Yep. All right. Let's go over the Snyder Con. Ah, Pasadena. Yes, Pasadena. Oh, I, 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 it hurt me so much that I didn't get to go to this thing. I know. It also hurt me that I really didn't get to, because of the timing, because unfortunately when we were traveling, you know, we recorded the show last Friday, so I missed the Dawn of the Dead Q&A. I was traveling, so I missed the Watchmen Q&A. I did get to watch the BVS Q&A live as much as I could with the crappy internet that I had at the beach. And as as other people have attested to, just the the Vero live stream technology, they they got some bucks. It wasn't it wasn't a smooth experience. Well, I don't know if it was if it was on Vero's end or if it was just literally the uh, ability to stream. You know, like if was it was it a limitation with like the network or the you know the internet or the art center or or the college's Wi-Fi? Right, we just don't know. So yeah, but yeah, I I did watch the Watchmen one as I was finishing up a Robocop episode. Well, who watches the Watchmen? <laughs> well, we finally know. Apparently, Tim does. Yes, there we go. I did watch that one. So let's. There's really just a, there's really maybe three main things that we should probably talk about coming out of this. Well, it's the three main things that really set the world freaking on fire. Yeah. And and like, let's play the fiddle and watch the world burn. <laughs> right. But it means so much more when you do it in context. For sure. I, I feel like that's going to be like the, that's going to be like the theme. This all needed context. You actually had to watch it. You didn't, you know, you couldn't just rely on the regurgitators and people cherry picking quotes from this event. Yep. So how about you get the, how about you get the first one? Because this one hit during the Watchmen Q&A, which I haven't had a chance to catch up on yet. Uh, okay. Well, this one is the one that uh, just got the usual people like upset uh, when it comes to like his portrayal of, uh, of of our heroes and all that. And this was about basically it's a quote about like, you know, superheroes killing. <laughs> and and this is the one where we've seen a lot of the stories were taken largely out of context because it was just it was part of a much larger discussion. Yeah, I heard it's like you take two minutes out of a six minute answer. Right. And so I'm trying to figure out how best to kind of summarize this here without me actually reading the entire conversation. Well, okay, I can I can help I can help you with that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like let's let's step, kind of step through it. Okay, you gotta understand that this was a Q and A after Watchmen, right? The de- which was a deconstruction of the you know the idea of heroes, like right. superheroes. Yep. Which which was what Alan Moore was doing, right? And and the I don't know what the question was, but Zack Snyder's answer is all. All about he, he him saying that his view of superheroes was per it, it was almost permanently affected by the fact that he did Watchmen first, right? And so that put him in a certain mindset. And so you've got to contextualize his answer in that he's saying he's saying there was a time before Watchmen and then there was a time after Watchmen, right? Right. That's exactly right. Well, and he says you know people have criticized him for a lot of different aspects of the way he's interpreted the characters, and he 
says, but you know, but if you've seen that film and he's talking about Watchmen, it's pretty obvious why. It's very difficult to go backwards. The movie is the end of innocence of superheroes. So when people say to me, oh, Batman killed a guy, and this is the quote, uh, Zack Snyder, he says, well, I'm like, wake the F up. Once you've lost your virginity to this movie, then come and say, my superhero wouldn't do this. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> and he says, it's a cool point of view to be like, you know, my heroes are still innocent. My heroes are, you know, don't F and lie to America. My, my, my heroes didn't embezzle money from their corporations. My heroes don't commit any atrocities. He says, that's cool, but you're living in a dream world. Well, you, you heavily, you, <laughs> you were uh, censoring that all over the place, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, he was, he was being very, you know, very down to earth and blunt with his conversation. But I mean, this is the gist of what he's saying. He says, you're living in a dream world. And, you know, it's kind of funny, too, because the point he was making how, and I like the way you summarize it, there was a time before, there was a time after Watchmen. That was actually my child, not childhood, but that was like my young adult life as well. Because basically all the notions I had about superheroes changed once I read Watchmen. Because like once I read Watchmen, I realized that there was like, there were much more important and meaningful and deeper stories than just simple uh, good guy versus bad guy. And like, I never looked at comics the same after that. Well, no one, that was the whole point of Watchmen. That's why Watchmen is from, you know, when the book came out in 1986, that's why it's such a watershed book. And what his comments are saying is, well, once you accept that, you're willing to kind of accept other things. Because I'm looking at this quote and, oh my goodness, the hot takes I saw (laughs) on the internet while I was at the beach and going, this is what he actually said. And the headlines and the hot takes that I saw is like, but that's not what he said. You know, it's like, he calls people who don't like his movies virgins. It's like, no. That's not what he said. Okay. Um, I would be interested because I feel like that even the part that we're talking about isn't even the full answer. No, gave. it's not. Yeah, and I and I like I said, I need to go back and watch the the whole thing. So, but that was the gist of it. I mean, basically, the point he's making is that you know, you know, people are human; they have flaws. They, you know, you, you can't always treat these characters in this little fantasy world. And and I don't disagree with that one bit because that's where I find that to be the most compelling and interesting uh, when these characters do have flaws. Yeah, the thing that I didn't like was all the dogpiling. Yeah, for people who had no reason whatsoever to jump into this conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a bit silly. Uh, I mean, like, I know some people are getting bent out of shape about uh, Stephen Colbert from The Late Show. Not Stephen Colbert from Screen Rant, which has been really fun this week. <laughs> Stephen, yeah. love you. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, he was trying to deflect, but we we know what you were doing, Stephen. Uh, own up to it. <laughs> no, uh, even, you know, Stephen Colbert, which, which I thought was kind of fun because he does, you know, he's irreverent, always purposely takes things out of context and has these different segments that he does and and does like uh kind of like fake outrage over everything he did a little thing about snyder in the comments that he made and what was funny about it was it's just a segment about he calls it meanwhile where he basically kind of goes around from story to story and he says meanwhile while this was going on he goes on to another story and he says uh he quoted what zach snyder had said and he says zach these are beloved children's characters and then he kind of like exaggerated even further he goes aquaman sells opiates and the flash is a human trafficker walk it off the whole justice league is a addicted to snuff porn grow up i laughed at it i thought it was funny i know what he's doing but i know some people were well, what he's actually well some, really if you look at what he's saying he's not making fun of Z- 
Zach. He's making fun of the people who are outraged by what Zach said. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think – and there was even a couple people I saw who actually – and I wish I could give credit to the guy who did this. But there was one guy who actually went on Twitter who who's kind of big sort of like the Zack Snyder fandom and the Risa Snyder Cut movement kind of stuff. And he was even like, okay, everyone, including myself, needs to lay off on, on Colbert. Like He was even calling out like when you watch the whole segment and you watch it in context, yeah. it's like, no, Colbert isn't making fun of Snyder. Colbert is actually making fun of the outrage people had about what Snyder said. Yeah, I know, I know. And we have, you know, we have people we know well that uh, we're getting bent out of shape over things like that. So it's just, the thing is, and this is just a lesson. <laughs> this is lesson time, folks. <laughs> <laughs> we, <laughs> t- t- <laughs> it's like after school special. Here's the moral of the story. Always go back. And I don't care whether it's a story, if it's a story that uh, that one of the comic book sites put out, which is just quoting materials from the source from like a, a trade always go back to the source read the entire thing in context i'm gonna tell you right now you are gonna save yourself a lot of heartache if you go back and just learn what the context is of things because it's so easy and and i'm just as guilty of this thing and i'm not i'm not trying to say that like i've got this all figured out and i don't make this mistake anymore i do the same thing myself go back and you know read about these things hear about these things hear interviews in context it's usually not what it's made out to be when you try to distill all the stuff down to one headline oh it's never it's never made out yeah it's never what it's made out to be and this was kind of the beauty of being on vacation this past week yeah with crappy internet going you know my god you guys on the slack group were like going crazy on thursday when i was like <laughs> just trying to wash my car and i was like what what happened because it's amazing what happens when you miss all of you know miss all the internet for a week and then you come home suddenly you're getting like downloaded on everything and i'm just like okay whatever i'm gonna go back to my car now thanks all right uh scott let's move on to the next topic it was kind of uh basically some of the reveals about what happened with the nightmare scene okay well here is this is what i got to watch because i did watch the bvs uh q a live and ironically no one actually asked a question about the snyder cut which it was kind of funny because that was something that lit Twitter ablaze was nobody asked the question, but we did find out who Zack Snyder's favorite Spider-Man was. No, but we also, and then the final question of the night <laughs> and the third night was, uh, it was something about, does he like football or it was something about the football scene in Batman v Superman. <laughs> yeah. That got kind of torn apart by the people watching a live stream. They're like, are you serious? That's the last question you're going to ask. Yeah. But here's what he did reveal at the, uh, when, when one person did ask about his experience, Experience working on Justice League. He did reveal that that Chris Terrio and he had worked on the script for Justice League and it had been completed before the release of BVS. But then they did a rewrite on it immediately after the release of BVS because the studio came back to them and was like, "Oh dear God, we we we, <laughs> we can't have another we can't have another reception like this." We looking at your script and looking at the, the criticisms we're getting from BVS, you need to t- you need to change this. So so this doesn't happen again. And Terrio and Snyder, basically, they were apparently feeling a little after BVS came out. So they kind of went, OK, we'll do it. So the point is, is that when we talk about the Snyder cut of Justice League, we're talking about a version of Justice League that's not that already deviated from the original plan yeah. because they did a rewrite after the release of BVS. So we'll talk about that. What we did find out from people who were getting their posters autographed and who would ask Snyder about the Snyder cut. If you look all the way over on 
the right in the Superman cape. You know, the the poster, if you've not seen the design, is the titles of the movies with numbers after them. And the numbers are the running time in minutes of the different director's cuts. Mm-hmm. Well, if you follow the cape all the way to the right, there's a little 214 written on the cape and if people would ask about the slider cut he would circle that number on the poster as he was autographing it which was then confirmed to mean that the Snyder cut of Justice League has been confirmed to run at 214 minutes which breaks down to a glorious 3 hours and 34 (laughs) minutes which would be the longest comic book film I think right I think yes it would be yeah I've never known a comic book movie to be that no 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 uh it would almost equal the ultimate cut of Watchmen. The one's oh, got true, all the black. True. Yeah. It's got the black freighter stuff right. uh, edited in. Yeah. So uh, so <laughs> that was some of the stuff that was kind of revealed, you know, there. Now in the interview, he kind of in the interview, in the Q and A, he basically broke down what their plan was for the nightmare timeline. And to which he responded, I guess it is crazy. We're effing nuts. There's going to be mess stir in the streets if we film this, apparently. And then someone yelled, what kind of crazy? And then <laughs> we got, and then. You got the explanation. <laughs> we got story t- We got story time. To which it was explained that the nightmare scene was this post-apocalyptic timeline that basically his Justice League saga was going to lead up to. The idea being that by the time we get to the Earth's been taken over by Darkseid and Superman has fallen prey to the anti-life equation which is why he's evil Superman in the nightmare scene in BVS he is under the control of the anti-life equation and basically the only surviving Justice League members are Flash, Batman and half of Cyborg. Yeah. <laughs> and he, I love how he explained how we had this really stupid comic book physics that we were working with. I loved how he just kind of called it out there. That the idea was that they have been calculating two points in time that they could get Flash on the cosmic treadmill where he could go back and try to stop this from happening. And, but the idea that the Earth has to be in the right position so when he travels back in time he's going back to a period in time where the Earth is in the same position in space. Right. So that when the so when the cosmic treadmill sends him back in time he doesn't show up in the middle of space. Right. Which would be good. Which would be good. Yes, yeah. we don't want that. So what happens is that you know the idea was supposed to be the the first time around, when they chose a point in time, we get BVS. We get yeah. Barry showing up saying, Lois is the key. Wait, I'm too soon. So basically, they chose poorly. <laughs> yes. The first time around. The whole point of this Justice League saga is that by the time Bruce gets back to that point in time in the second go around, which is the version that we're watching, he'll tell Cyborg, which one would you pick? And he picks one, and Bruce says, pick the other one. And so the idea was that they were going to send Flash back in time to a point right before apparently the event that led to Superman going evil which is Darkseid boom tubing into the Batcave and killing Lois. Which So that so basically the idea was that Batman's been protecting Lois sheltering her in the Batcave and in the timeline that led to Superman going evil it's because Darkseid just trips into the Batcave and killed her. And so that is what the that's what the so the whole point was they're going to get Flash to go back before that happens so they can save Lois which will stop Superman from succumbing to the anti-life equation. That was the story we were going to get. (laughs) And I just kind of (sighs) go... 
Yeah. I mean, we're obviously never, ever going to get never that Never going to get that. We're never going to get that story, at least in film. I, I think, personally, I, I kind of feel like, you know, yeah, keep fighting for the director's cut of Justice League because, you know, it's out there. It's done, you know, for the most part. Which, wait, but wait, wait, he, he confirmed. Yeah. Confirmed to multiple people, not at the Q&A, because no one asked about it at the Q&A, yep. but in the autograph line for shirts and posters, you can find numerous videos of him answering this question. Yeah. And basically his quotes are, it exists, it's done. It's done except for visual effects. Well, and then even then you get different r- reports of visual effects need to be completed or some people report what he said was a few CG tweaks. You you know you know once again you're getting all this secondhand like no one no one caught him saying these kind of things on video at least not what I've seen yeah yeah I mean so I I mean you know we, we we've been saying this for a long time like we've we've known that there was a Snyder cut out there that it was it was complete except for visual effects and and possibly score and we've even heard numbers of like how much it would take to kind of finish it off what I what was the biggest news to me out of all this is like the length of it <laughs> I had no idea it was that long we knew it was three out we knew it was three around three hours yeah because we get we had that from like the from the thanksgiving post on vero this past year right but three hours and 34 minutes i think i saw a screen rant story that even said it is possible that there is more unseen footage in the snyder cut of justice league than in the than the entire theatrical version of justice league like yeah there's more footage we haven't seen than we actually than the running time of the theatrical cut no so I mean, so we're obviously never going to see this this five story, you know, vision on film, uh, unfortunately. Even though some people suggested at the Q&A, people were shouting out graphic novel, animated adaptation. Yeah. And Zack Snyder was going, oh, that sounds good. Like, like he was actually reacting to these suggestions that we've kind of been yeah. bouncing around. But so people had those ideas. People were just shouting them out at that point. Yeah. And Zack was kind of reacting to them. Like, yeah. I, I, that was what I was watching when I was watching the Q&A. So my guess is, you know, because there's been some interesting things like, you know, remember uh, Zack Snyder on Vero had put out Jim Lee, like Jim Lee joined Vero. I know. And I am I am just I'm I'm, I'm hoping for that to be something. (laughs) I'm so hoping for that to be something. So like part of me is like, you know, is there something kind of going on behind the scenes? Because, I mean, if the the only avenue we're ever going to get in a relatively cheap manner, you know, this this five film story line to be published or, you know, produced is in, you know, by far the cheapest way we could do it would be to do it in graphic novel form you know the next option would be to animate a type film and that would be still pretty expensive to do like that would cost that would cost more money than <laughs> yeah. doing the graphic novel the graphic novel you clearly do so i i think you know as fans let's keep demanding and asking for you know warner brothers to, to you know allow uh finishing up the snyder cut you know whatever visual effects score whatever else that needs to be finished up with it you know finish it up get it out there you know we, we want to at least see that vision completed and Zack snyder has was saying in the once again, you know, when you're getting the reports from uh, the autograph line, he acknowledged that the studio has felt the push mm-hmm. for the Snyder Cut. Yeah. So, so the studio is aware because he also said to several people, "It's it's up to them to release it. It is. It's not his choice. It's up to them. It's not his choice. He they have the right. And we've known that. That's not yeah. news. But but it's the first time we've heard from Snyder himself say it's up to 
them. Yeah. But he also said that they have felt the pressure. They have felt the push. And all we can say is keep it up. Yep. Keep it up in a polite and respectful manner as, you know, as best we can. I mean, that's that's what we could do is just just keep asking for it. But I would also say this, like, I, I think, you know, let's try to get this original vision, you know, put down on paper somewhere. Right. Because whatever the, the, the T-shirt we've talked about. Yes. That was the five film plan. That's the five. That film. we're not going to get that. We're not going to get that. You're, you're certainly not going to get it. Yeah. You're not going to get it on a, a big screen film. You're probably no, you're not going to get it on in animated films. But if I could get a graphic novel, a, a series of graphic novels, like like sort of like the Earth One graphic novel series, you know, or an omnibus or something. And if I could get it drawn by Jim Lee, um, <laughs> I I would just just shut up and shut up and take all my money. Yeah, just, absolutely. just take it all. So so that's that's kind of where my head's at. Like because like I, I look at it this way: if we do get it in graphic novel form and we get this story out there, maybe that leads to like animated films or or maybe if the story kind of takes off you know maybe someday it leads to you know some films some actual films with a storyline bring back bring back you yeah. know it's like you bring just, it back <laughs> you just don't know so i mean I, you know i mean it is what it is guys i mean it's this is the this these are the best options we have at this point so all right scott let's let's <laughs> let's bullet point some of the tv news and then we could talk about doom patrol yes because we have we have an episode to watch yes did you did you watch the pennyworth uh teaser trailer yes and i i don't have epics um, this is not a show that I'll be able to, unless like I can get on like Hulu or something. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I'm going to watch this, but you have my attention. (laughs) You definitely have my attention now. I love the aesthetic of this thing. The cinematography in this looks really, really good. And I I threw a few snapshots in here. I mean, it just looked looked really good. The production design looked really nice. Production design was good. The acting was good. Like I, I, you know, I'm it like like you said, it has my attention. Like I'm interested in this thing now. Well, I think it goes back to it's 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 the DiCaprio line from from Django and Chain. You have my curiosity, but now you have my attention yes yeah so uh anyway if you want to see that look for pennyworth look for the teaser trailer it, it doesn't show a whole lot it shows a bunch of like scenes going back and forth and then it's like 30 seconds or something that, like, it's yeah. not a lot if that it's not a lot but it's enough to give you a feel for the show and the feel makes me go i want to i want to watch that i want to watch it yeah so so that one looks good okay we got a lot of dc universe news coming out of WonderCon this weekend yeah uh so here's here's the bullet points uh titan season two will premiere this fall that was news to me uh let's see swamp thing will premiere on may 31st and by the way matt ryan wants in and i'm just like hell yeah (laughs) give me a birthday present give me john constantine give me matt ryan and john constantine in in the swamp thing series and i will be all over that yeah i'm so happy to see that matt ryan just still wants to play the character i know and to do it on the Swamp Thing where it would, like, do Constantine the way Constantine should be done? <laughs> right. I'm just saying. Uh, but that's May, 30, that's May 31st for that to come on. Well, and one more thing about that. Like, th- I love the idea that maybe as, like, a kind of a, like, we always use this term, backdoor-type p- pilot, you can bring Matt Ryan in to Swamp Thing. And to do it on a show and onto a network to where you could actually freaking do Constantine correctly. Like, I want chain smoking. I, I mean, <laughs> basically the way we just saw Willoughby Kipling being portrayed on right. Doom Patrol. Give me Constantine. Yeah. And make it Matt Ryan. Our best chance to, you know, bring back Constantine will be in the DC Universe. Yes. And I think there's a really good chance it's going to happen. Well, I love his quote where he says, John Constantine was born in Swamp Thing. Eventually, he has to be on Swamp Thing. And I just hope it's me. Yeah. And I'm like, you you know you know the riots in the streets that would happen <laughs> if they brought back Constantine and it wasn't Matt Ryan? Yeah. The man has become this character. He has. Yeah. Yeah. Bring him back. Bring him back. Uh, 
Uh, oh my God. This Stargirl costume, this image that they released. I, I just, just tear a page out of Jeff John's JSA and just slap it on screen because this thing is incredibly comic book accurate. And once again, like just with all these shows, like they're going all in with the accuracy of these of these suits, you know, from the comics. It looks great. It looks great. And I feel like every show just gets more and more like they're getting more and more comfortable with the idea of doing it. Yep. Yeah. And we get our first look at Stripe in the background. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we do. Uh, Harley Quinn season one will premiere in the fall as well. And uh, Young Justice Outsiders will return on July 2nd with its remaining 13 episodes. But it's going to be on a Tuesday. So hmm. that's going to be interesting. They're going to be staggering. It looks like because Young Justice Outsiders is going to be coming on at the same time that in the middle of Swamp Things uh, yeah. season one. So it looks like we're going to start getting content on other days of the week. Yeah, that'll be kind of cool. I mean, I, I've liked the idea that, you know, they've just kind of owning Friday now with all these different shows. And then every single week we have something, you know, I've definitely enjoyed that. So but you could definitely fit in something like uh, especially like an animated show, fit something else in there. You know, I, I think yeah. it makes total sense. And they announced I'm going to jump ahead to this because we're talking about DC Universe. They also announced this weekend that DC Comics is basically just blowing the bloody doors off when it comes to their digital comics on the DC Universe. My understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Tim, but the idea is that if you are a DC Universe subscriber, instead of having these, quote, carefully cultivated collections of comics, they are now just opening the doors, and if they have a digital copy of a comic available, you will be able to read it on DC Universe. Is that your understanding? Because that was my understanding. Yeah, over 20,000 comic books are in, in, in April, and I don't know if there's a date in April, but I mean, April's what, uh, tomorrow? Uh, no, 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 no in two days, two days. Uh, in April, and I'm not sure what part of April, but they're just going to open it up. So you're going to get over 20,000 comic books available. So basically, if it's a book you could have bought on Comixology, you'll be able to read it on DC Universe. The exception, the exception, of course, being uh, once a comic is published, it, you have to wait 12 months for it to show up here. A year. I, a year. It's kind of like our, our, our Squadcast movie show. Yes, I think that's I think that's fair. Yeah. You know, everything except for what's in the past year. I Hey, I think that is an incredible move on their part. I think they realize they need to do something else to yeah. attract people to the service. I don't I don't think this is a bad move. Oh, I, I sent out a tweet uh, basically saying, hey, this is this is like game over at this point. You, once you do this, like there is no reason you should not be subscribing to DC Universe if you haven't done so yet. And uh, aside from, you know, our unfortunate people overseas that still do not have all this worked out yet to where they can, you know, subscribe to DC Universe. I, I think it's because of a lot of uh, different copyrights, distribution and... rights and all that for the material. It's a lot more complicated overseas. So like I'm sure they're working through all that. But as soon as they can get something and get all that worked out and they could start distributing all this overseas. I mean, like if you're a DC fan, like this is an automatic. You you subscribe to the service. I mean, now it's like who needs the library or who needs to buy back issue? It's like the books will be there. Yeah. I mean, if you if there's ever a book you wanted to read, well, if it's digitized, they're going to have it. Yeah. Yeah, this is amazing. This is uh and this is going to blow away like Comicsology Unlimited. Like if you're a DC fan, like I you know, I haven't subscribed to Comicsology Unlimited because like I don't I and I I have. I don't so. really care about all the other books. Like I'm just I'm primarily just a DC fan. Like I don't read a lot of other books outside of DC. So it's like this is perfect for me. You know, this gives me everything that I would want. See, and it make and it makes me question like I might granted it's not, you know, it's like 7 bucks a month, but if I'm already paying my annual subscription, it's like I might 
and like this 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 makes it a thought of dropping my comicsology unlimited subscription because it's like save the seven bucks over there because if I can get every DC book, not just the ones they choose to make unlimited for this period of time, that's that's insane. That's insane. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it's gonna be real interesting to see what happens to comicsology. We talk about how quickly industries change. So not just the whole idea of comicsology, you know, being like the primary access to digital comics. Now you're really kind of questioning what's going to happen to print media. Well, and this also brings up something, and I would, and, and Brent, Brent, oh, from fa- from fans and DCTV, if you're listening, I really want you to address this this question because he's been talking a lot about you know the Marvel Unlimited service and how you know the DC Universe service because of it, it kind of pulls and does. Brent, what do you think about this? Like with the DC Universe basically now being, oh, I guess something like Marvel Unlimited, but also with the movies and the TV shows and the original content? I mean, does this change your, like, how does this affect your view of this, especially with the com, uh, especially with the digital comic aspect? I really would like you to answer that on on, on fans or, or, or DC TV Squawk has at some point because I just think this just this just changes the game. Yeah, yeah, I think this is a game changer. The only thing I don't know, like you know, for the for the price point, like what is this doing to the comic creators? Like that's a genuine question of mine. Like is you know, and I don't know if comic creators are only getting primarily royalties just from the print media, and then this is one of like one of these gray areas because you know digital distribution was not necessarily covered or you know under some of the original. Uh, uh, contracts with these guys but like you know if, like how are they compensating the creators that's what i really want to know ultimately when it comes from this yeah because it wasn't there i don't know if it was comic book really but like that was something that like the writers guild of america you know dealt with a few years back with right. that last strike right so right. yeah so uh, we don't want to i mean i would say this you know we we definitely don't want to forget the comic creators and we need to keep continuing to support them and i and i hope they are getting compensated uh for all these you know all their work being available out there like you know at least in some way like i think there's you know hopefully there's continued support for all the work that goes into uh the ideas and the stories and the characters that they create that they're still getting compensated for that yeah uh one last thing to touch on uh before we talk about this week's episode of doom patrol uh ign did drop a exclusive first look of the next dc animated movie which is going to be an adaptation of batman hush uh, it will be coming out this summer. Probably if they, when they say summer, they're probably talking about uh, late July, early August. With that, you know, because their release schedule tends to repeat itself year after year. Uh, this did confirm that Batman Hush will be adapted as a continuity film of the DC Universe animated original films. So this will be the next continuity film following Reign of the Superman. Uh, so you'll have the continuity actors. So you'll have Jason Omar as Batman, uh, you'll have Jerry O'Connell as Superman, Rebecca Romaine as Lois Lane, Rain Wilson as Lex Luthor, Sean Mayer as Nightwing, and then there are some actors who are joining the film because characters are being introduced for the first time. So we're going to get uh, Catwoman, Joker, you know... Uh, Poison Ivy, Batgirl, you know, characters who have not been introduced into the uh, DC continuity yet. Uh, so I, I, I'm going to start off by saying I saw a lot of blowback about this. 
And I'm just going to say this personally. I don't have a problem with the with the continuity versions of the animated films. As a matter of fact, I thought Death of Superman was really good. Uh, and I feel like that they've been getting better. You know, like Judas Contract was really good. Death of Superman was really good. They've been improving with these continuity-based uh, stories. And I just and I just saw a lot of people griping because they wanted a standalone movie. But I like the fact that because all, a lot of these characters have already been introduced in the continuity, that they're kind of just making it work. Uh, I have not watched Justice League versus the Fatal Five just released today, Saturday, uh, digitally. The one that's obviously based on the DC animated universe. And there's a 10 minute sneak peek. And I do know people have watched it said that they've even changed the shading and the coloring to kind of match sort of a Jim Lee style, even though they can't imitate Jim Lee's art because they're sticking with this, with this continuity version. But I just say, give it a shot. I mean, I, I just, I guess I just don't like people crapping on it immediately without seeing a single second of the film you know so that's that was just my thoughts on that do you have any thoughts no i mean i don't really have a lot of thoughts i haven't seen uh this preview or anything uh i haven't seen this i haven't seen the fatal five one yet uh so i no i don't have any strong opinions on this thing or thoughts on it okay do you have any strong opinions about people judging this before they've even seen a single frame of it well yeah of course i always have people i always have a problem with people judging things before they've seen anything so uh, i mean that's i think we've always been clear on it like our mantra is always like you know I'll judge it when I see it. Yeah, so I, I'll do that because I've been enjoying I've been enjoying these these films for the most part. So we'll so we'll see what that happens. Yep. All right, I think it's time. Okay, so season one, episode seven, Therapy Patrol, <laughs> the latest episode of Doom Patrol. This was a damn <sighs> good episode. It was a good episode, but man, it was just like it was stylistically, it was quite a bit different than anything else we've seen up to this point. I loved it. Yeah, I I dug it a lot. the The way that it it started off at a at a point in time that we later learn out like more towards the end of the episode right. and then it does a rewind to follow each character's day leading up to that moment I so good this was a strong episode simply because like you you literally got about like a good like 12 minutes or so per character to really kind of flesh out more of their story like every character got like their moment in time because basically like they were all leading up to the same point that was kind of revealed at the very beginning of the episode and so all these like little segments of stories are as these characters are kind of waking up for the day and kind of preparing for a meeting that Cyborg's trying to get everyone to go to. Um, you get these little like emotional beats with these characters. Every single one of them have like a pretty powerful emotional story uh, that they're exploring a little bit. And uh, it it really kind of worked for me. Oh, I, I I love, I mean, when I saw the title was called Therapy Patrol and then the very first thing is them sitting around. I was like, oh, they're having group. Yeah. <laughs> it, but that was funny was that it was it was Cliff who was trying to get it started. Yeah. And then we later learn out why with the reveal of Admiral Whiskers. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry. There, there is something to be said for a show that was so serious so well done and then the morrison <laughs> shenanigans show up and it's right. like oh, of course i forgot what did i forget what show i was watching yeah yeah it was it was pretty it was pretty crazy no i mean the whole premise like you know you you've got all these like really damaged misfits that are all kind of thrown F'd together up people really messed up i mean and and you're you're getting them individually trying to work things out on their own right and then in the end like you get them all together and you kind of like this forced therapy which seems like nobody really wants 
to do it first. And then, of course, as they start getting into it, like everybody's just kind of revealing things. And and it, and you're really ultimately going to get a really strong team coming out of this thing. Yeah. I was very curious, like, what was up with Cliff? Like, why was he seeing things? What was yeah. screwing around with him? Yeah. And then when the mouse crawled out of his mouth, <laughs> it, it was like, what the? What w- is going what, on? What the WTF? Yeah. And then, of course, we get Admiral Whiskers, for, you know, six episodes ago. <laughs> it's just like, oh, even the mouse gets a story. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a great bridge episode. Um, so I I had no complaints about it. Like it, I was, it, it kind of satisfied all the things I wanted, you know, to just allow these characters kind of individually breathe a little bit more. And uh, and like I said, build up a little bit more of like, you know, what's kind of going on inside their heads. The the thing with Rita was, was, was kind of tragic, really. Well, everything is tragic for yeah. all of, I mean, like Larry dealing with, I like that Larry seems to be coming to terms with what was going on with him. I also love the fact that every single character, we got a shot of their childhood. Yeah. Well, and then Crazy Jane's was really, Whoa. that was emotionally tough to watch. I, I was like, what are you, one, yes. the guy just watching the baby cry pissed me off. Yeah. But then, but then there was the part of me going, you effing gonna do, man. Yeah, what I know. Are, like, what are you, like, it made me uncomfortable. It, it was like, real uncomfortable. What are, you, what are you gonna do? Yeah. No, that's a tough, I mean, and anyone who's, you know, a father or a mother, you know, of, of any children and anyone that's ever had a baby, I mean, you're watching that scene and you're just like, it was, it was tough to watch. Pick the baby. Pick the baby up. up. And rock yeah. it. Right. Uh, and, and so it's just like, gosh, the empathy I'm growing for all these characters. Like, it's genuine. Oh. Like, I'm, I'm really latching on to each and every one of these characters individually. Yeah, there's, there's not a character I wouldn't mind having an episode devoted to. That's, yeah. That's the deal. They're all so well done. Yeah. And Cyborg is, is definitely growing on me more so. He's growing on me. I'm still not sold, but he's growing. Yeah. Get rid of the tracksuits. <laughs> Get rid of the tracksuits. Yeah, that's got to go. Uh, but which they're starting to do it anyway. Like they're showing off the chest armor much more, you know, in this episode like they did in the last one as well. Yeah. It's just oh, so good. I mean, I I got home from a date last night. I, you know, we, my, my wife went to bed and I thought about watching, you know, the other DC show. I mean, I thought about, man, there are DC shows that I'm three weeks behind on. And then I thought, nope, I'm watching Doom Patrol. <laughs> yeah. You want to go right to that ice cream first. You do. Yeah. You do. And I, yeah, it, it's like, oh man, I got three weeks of every other show to catch up on. Yeah. Nope. I'm watching Doom Patrol. Yeah. So this is, this is such a good show. It, it is, it is, it is wacky though. It is, it is out there. Uh, it's, We're still not halfway through the season yet. Yeah. I mean, next episode is uh, uh, episode eight, which will get us halfway through, beyond halfway through. Right. So, oh, just every week, great episode. Yeah. I mean, just I want to know where it's going. Okay. Well, guys, I think that's it for this week's podcast, especially since we, we told you we weren't doing this episode. Yes. And then we totally lied and did it. Yes. So, surprise. Surprise. I did decide to podcast on my birthday. Yes. So, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a lot of fun, and we'd love to hear from you. Of course, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Suicide Squadcast. I can be reached individually at ScottDC27. Yeah, and then on Twitter, you can reach me at Alan Fire. And of course, you can always email us at SuicideSquadcast at gmail.com. Yes, you can always email us. Just remember, <laughs> sometimes we're not the best at getting back to you that fast. <laughs> William, I'm sorry, man. I feel so bad. I wrote you back. I feel so bad about that. <laughs> we are very busy, guys. We're very we busy. Are, we are sorry. But we love. we definitely love hearing from you. And you know we do we do respond uh, eventually eventually, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> that's just our motto hashtag eventually.
Totally. Yep. Uh, of course, you can find us on Vero, Facebook, and of course, the whole network can be found at suicidesquadcast.com. And don't forget about patreon.com slash squadcastmedia, where for $5 a month, you can get access to that feed. Come on, guys. RoboCop is there. It was a great review. You know you want to listen to it. Yep. It's fun. Yep. You know you want it. So. <laughs> so that's it for this week. And to all of our listeners, and if you're a DC Universe subscriber, this will be a whole lot easier for you in about a month. Yes. Keep reading DC. Absolutely. <laughs> See you guys. Bye. I I kind of felt like I needed to tear people apart for this, but now it's like, no, I'm one of you now. Did we really need to know who Zack Snyder's favorite Spider-Man was? Was that really a pertinent question, Tim? <laughs> Spider-Man, Spider-Man. <laughs> I'm glad to know that Spider-Man 2 is your favorite Spider-Man yes. movie. Thanks. It's a lot of people's favorite Spider-Man movie. Yep. We're talking to Zack Snyder at a director's cut thing. What do we want to hear about? <laughs> Justice League, or at least talk about BVS. Yes, something else. Come on, man. <laughs> get it together. I don't know who you are, but get it together. I No, to all of you who did not ask the pertinent question, <laughs> this is for you. Yes, and you know you had this coming.